You're listening to Unsubscribe, a podcast where we explore all things sales development to give SDRs and managers alike the tools they need to succeed. Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. Uh, I am your host, AJ Alonzo, the Director of Marketing here at Demand Drive, and I have with me Alex Ellison on the Demand Drive side as well. How's it going? Say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Um, and with us today, we're super excited. We have uh, Brian Trachel over at Ambition. He's the co-founder there. Uh, Brian, why don't you say hi? Uh, talk a little bit about yourself um, um, and sort of just give us a bit of a background about you and, and who you are. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on, uh, AJ and Alex. Uh, hey, everyone at Unsubscribe, which is an amazing uh, podcast name. Uh, <laughs> I'm Brian once again. You guys mentioned that. Uh, no, seriously, like it is really like one of the best, at least marketing or sales-oriented uh, <laughs> uh, names I've heard. Thanks. Uh, which anyone who's in marketing at all can can appreciate, I'm sure. Um, I'm the co-founder and COO of Ambition. Ambition is a sales management platform. Uh, this is my second, third startup, how, one way or another. Um, you know, done this for eight years now, which is insane. Uh, had the pleasure and, and the honor, I guess, to invest in a few startups. So, you know, thrilled to be with you guys. Love to, uh, you know, help out whoever, however I can in the sales, marketing, and startup community. So excited to, uh, to talk with you guys. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited to have you on as well. Ambition is... Um one of the, I would, I mean, looking at sort of the background and um, the, the company structure overall, it's a super exciting company. Um, something that I personally think a lot uh, of traction has come across recently, sort of in the sort of uh, sales coaching and training and gamification area. Um, you know, you see companies like that pop up all the time. You guys are definitely a leader in the space, though, which is super cool. Um, and it's awesome to have you, you on the podcast with us. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we to start off, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about uh, sort of you mentioned, you know, this is the second or third startup that you've helped co-found. Um, tell us a little bit about your background sort of in the startup world. You know, you like you said, you've co-founded a couple of companies in your day. What um, I guess sort of drew you into the startup world in the first place? It doesn't seem like something that a lot of people find is like, oh, the glamorous world of startups and they get to start this company. And it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, so you know, what what sort of brought you here, I guess? That's a monumental understatement. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. I think there is, like, the sexy answer, and then there's, like, the real answer. And, you know, the sexy answer, which is true, is that my co-founder, who I still work with um, today, I mean, 10, 11 years ago when we were at the University of Tennessee, we were, like, the weird guys who would go (laughs) sneak beers into the library and like reserve a conference room for six hours and come up with business ideas, most of which had to do with starting companies and building software. Um, So that was like, you know, what we wanted to do or what we dreamed of doing. But then the reality was when we graduated in 2008, 2009, you know, kind of the economy of, of, you know, graduates and what you had opportunity-wise was just not the same as what we'd expect when we went into college, I guess. Right. So, you know, you kind of had our ideals and our goals to start companies um, run right into the reality of the world. And we had this opportunity where it was like, hey, we're not getting awesome offers to go, you know, as a finance major, I didn't have some awesome Wall Street offer because, <laughs> like, Wall Street was laying off, like, 30% of the workforce. Right. So, we had to come up with new things and um, you know, we were we were very lucky that some of those things worked uh, after a while. It, it didn't work for a long time, but now <laughs> it's kind of working. Yeah, I'm sure those brainstorming sessions in the library, uh, six hours at a time, sounds like a, a lot. Yeah, at least there was beer. You know, leads somewhere over over a certain period of time for sure. Um, what were some of the ideas that you had, if you don't mind us asking? You know, some early startup ideas where that maybe you weren't like during those long brainstorming <laughs> sessions, you come out and you're like, what, was, what were we thinking? <laughs> this is a company? <laughs> yeah, uh, man, that's, that's really a great question. And uh, it's funny. I mean, I remember one specifically was a, you're in college, there are all these like resume um, workshops and, and all this stuff where like people will, will help judge and, and 
like you know provide feedback for you, mm-hmm. which in hindsight is hilarious because no one knows like what the hell they're talking about. They're like, <laughs> judging your resume, they're like a, an English major or something like that. Um, but so we wanted to start this this kind of uh, I think it was I'm trying to remember how we pitched it, but it was kind of like a competitor to LinkedIn, but you'd have like a rate my resume type service, and mm-hmm. I think that actually may exist now. So <laughs> someone's probably built that into a a real company, but, you know, the idea was to crowdsource, um, you know, rating of a resume and not only like, you know, to, to do the, every resume looks the same, but also to, to find hopefully creative ways, uh, to do that. So that was one of the more, the ones that like immediately springs to mind is that it was not something that I think if we spent a bunch of time on, we could build a good business around, but, uh, it was a cool idea to play with it at the time. Yeah. I mean, that actually sounds like that's like super useful. I remember I when I was um, going through the process, like graduating college and doing the resume thing, I remember thinking something along the lines of, there has to be a better way to do this. And uh, it, you really spoke to a lot of the college kids' hearts out there. <laughs> uh, so, so you, you know, those brainstorming sessions and all of that time you spent sort of led you into the startup world and then you, you ended up at Ambition. So, um, you know, ambitions all about gamification, uh, coaching, training, things like that. Um, talk to us about sort of what, I guess, how you went there, like where, like how you went from the previous foray that you were in into ambition, and and sort of um, what you're so passionate about, and why it's like something that you're you know doing now. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, so I did graduate college. I did have the opportunity to be in the real workforce for. Um, just over a year, I think, and my first two jobs were in sales. So I, I left. Um, I left Tennessee. I got a job selling um, servers, and which like no one sells anymore because you don't need them. <laughs> right. And uh, like networking equipment for HP. And so I had this, you know, first collision with the real world, which was all about which was all about sales. And credit to HPE or HP HPE now, they. Um, they had a really good sales training program. It was like a huh. intensive 12 week program. So wow. this kid who'd been studying finance and economics gets to go into a, you know, basically a classroom for the next three months when I started and, and learn about sales and how to do calls and how to do all of these, these different prospecting techniques. But anyway, um, so that was like my first story of like, Oh man, there's all this stuff that happens in sales and there's this, <laughs> CRM where all this data lives. I can find people, you know, all these ways. Uh, and that was all really impressive. But then, you know, myself and I think my co-founders also had these early career right out of college experiences where we found that the management and the development um, of people, especially young people in companies, was was outdated or really lacking mm-hmm. um, or people just struggled with the scale. You know, the, the facility that I worked at, for HP had like 2,000 people and wow. every manager had probably between 12 and 20 reports, some of whom were not physically at that location. So yeah. it was just all kinds of challenges to motivate, um, challenges to you know get people to be effective and, and attrition was a huge, huge issue. So mm-hmm. I knew there was something there. Our first company didn't have anything to do with sales. We kind of <laughs> rode a wave, I think, in the you know, whatever we call that period, 2011, 2012, where we thought um, doing a personalized, uh, kind of kind of gamified uh, newsreader was going to be a, a huge company. And, you know, it turns out that Twitter and Facebook and, <laughs> right. and some of these other services really won that space. <laughs> that space became those services, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we spent a ton of time thinking about how to incentivize users to do things, how to get people to read more articles, for, exa- for example, or read more um, diverse set of topics. And, you know, we kind of had this, I would say, you know, whatever you call a startup experience, but like deep dive into gamification, trying to get people to be competitive, which mm-hmm. would drive them to, to read more. Um, and then that business ultimately didn't work. And so we started looking at ourselves, our network, our, our experiences, and we said, where can we apply some of this experience? Where is there a problem that we can solve and that we know a little bit about? And, uh, you know, we knew a lot of people like ourselves who stayed in those sales jobs and were still at big companies 
uh, dealing with, you know, at this point, people in their mid-20s who are, who are kind of struggling to, to hit the number or mm-hmm. to, to grow in their role and, and hit the next uh, promotion, so to speak. And we wanted to help solve that. And that's kind of the, the I would say, the, the foundation of ambition um, mm-hmm. was to try, to try to align and give uh, reps, managers, sales leadership a better chance to, to succeed. Nice. Yeah, I used the word foundation that actually like popped into my mind as you were talking about it. It seems like you noticed that, you know, a lot of people weren't able, like you said, to sort of move up because their foundation wasn't, you know, maybe the strongest in the world. It's more of like a trial by fire kind of mm-hmm. scenario with, you know, tons of people at a huge company and whoever succeeds, succeeds and whoever fails kind of just falls by the wayside. So more of a, a noble cause on your end to try and help out everyone, make sure that, um, you know, uh, there, there are programs in place to ensure that you get the right training, you get the right coaching, that you're able to take that next step if it's something you want to do. Um, it sounds like a solid base yeah. for a company. <laughs> yeah. In regards to sort of selling that uh, stake, taking a next step theme, was there a, a certain point when you were just getting started with ambition where you realized that this was going to be a success and you could sort of focus all your energy on that? And what was that like? Well, it's so different than being in consumer startups. It felt so. It felt really hard um, for us, and I think you know consumer startups are, are fascinating. I still love a lot of um, you know what I see out there when people are doing social or, or different things where you get the momentum of a lot of users using something or sharing it and just the groundswell yeah, that creates. But there. enterprise software is. And anyone who's in the space or, or wants to start a company, it's so fun because you can go find your users and you can sell to them and they can tell you if they like your product and how much they like it directly with you know signing contracts and paying money. And so that was just this whole new experience for us who've been a you know free consumer product to to go put together a, a pitch deck and not go pitch investors, which we had done, but go to customers and say, hey, if we delivered these things, would you pay for it? And, uh, you know, finally someone said yes. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, crap, that is, uh, that's powerful. Okay, let's do this. Let's make yeah. sure this works. Um, and so that was, I think, the moment where I, I can't say that I knew, like, hey, admission would be where we are five years later or four, four and a half years later, but I definitely knew there was value and there was merit and, there was more to dig into, I guess I would say. And, you know, we've learned more every, we learn more every day, but definitely every year our, mm-hmm. our scope, our, our mindset has, has changed and we've really expanded what we believe we can do as we learn more. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's like, I, I was talking to someone the other day about how oftentimes, um, when you have an idea and you think it's a great idea, then more or less the feedback is what's more important than money. It's usually the the response you get monetarily is sort of like a barometer of the success that you have. Like you said, if you realize that somebody needs it and they're going to pay for it secondarily, but like knowing that other people see value in what you've created, that's like that feeling has to be so amazing. I've never founded a startup before. <laughs> I can't say I've ever felt something like that, but the way that you're talking about it, you know, I can sort of get a little bit of that same feeling. Um, just from you, which is so cool. You have so much passion about it. Um, yeah, it's crazy. The first time uh, we got a physical check for our first payment, and um, there's a picture in our office of, of like all the team that that was there. Um, you know, we saved the check or whatever somehow. Um, it's like restaurants have that now, five dollar bill nope. up on the wall. Yeah, except you got to <laughs> yeah, cash a yeah, check, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we like voided it and got it back somehow. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just that, that, like, I cannot believe someone's paying us to do this right now. But if that happens, you know, I think that you've got to stick with it. You've got to see how far that that rabbit hole goes. And and that's what we've been doing for for a few years now. Yeah. Did you you have a moment where when someone said yes, where you were like, crap, we have to, like, build this now. Like, we have to, like, do the, like, because, you you know, you said you were always, like, pitching and, um, trying to get customers, but as soon as like that first customer sort of says, "Yeah, like I'm in," you have like this whole extra road of work ahead of you that you weren't doing before. <laughs> I still feel like that. I feel like that all the time. Like customers sign up now, and I'm like, "Really? Are, are, do they know who we are? Do they know who 
I think they 25 do. 25 people uh, that are doing this. But, uh, yes, I, I definitely um, – I, I think of it more of the other way, I think. And I, I'm sure that, that you guys have dealt with this. I feel like this all the time where, you know, customers, they don't know – any better like they, they're normally like looking at your solution they're like oh my gosh this solves my need you know solves my pain or, or provides this value and they're they're thrilled with the offering um i think one of the the you know one of those quiet things that, that founders deal with a lot is it's, it's never good enough for us like i look at our product mm. and i see a thousand ways that we can make it better and we could deliver more value or we can you know make customers more excited and more successful um, luckily, the customer doesn't necessarily know that. Sure, they have feedback, <laughs> they have requests. You know, things don't work exactly the way they want to sometimes. But um, normally, you know, for the most part, it's like, man, I can't believe how great this tool is. So that's one of those weird, like, uh, I don't know, those weird founder things where delivering has never has never you know scared me about what customers want. It is more about like the the yardsticks that we use internally and how much better we can be that I think, mm. you know, continually move up and continually expand. Yeah, sort of help improve the product and stuff like that. Um, is there anything that you've tried with Ambition that you thought would be like a slam dunk and just it didn't work at all? You know, you say you always try to like improve the product and you always think there's something that more that needs to be sort of put in place. Maybe the customers didn't see that, but um, maybe something that you like not necessarily promised, but like had, you know, a new rollout and you were like, look at what ambition could do now. And, and it was just like, didn't work at all. <laughs> um, man, I, I don't know if there's things that, the thing is that I think when we're building stuff, you know, we try to put, we're trying to be really intentional because we've always been a, a company that had not zero resources, but limited resources. <laughs> so we try to maximize, you know, what we get out of those whether that's people or, you know, the dollars we spend on marketing or sales. Um, you know, I think maybe one of the things was that was not product related, but really impacted how customers worked with us is we tried to build out an SDR function really early in the company. And we had never done that. We never successfully rolled that out. And I think we just had this, you know, poor set of expectations from the founder level, um, probably not aligned with the people who were starting um, to be in that role. And that was really difficult because, yeah. you know, we just couldn't manage and set them up for success the way that we wanted to. That was that was definitely a painful uh, experience. Huh. And, and I'm guessing you've sort of rectified that at this <laughs> point. You, you know, it seems like you guys are growing pretty quickly. So I'm guessing that uh, that is no longer the case for you guys. In most things, we, uh, you know, I, I think there's this this weird thing about starting a company or starting, you know, any of the departments in our company. I feel like they've gone through this similar process where you really have to feel a little bit of the pain to know how to do it better. Um, I think that maybe sometimes companies just are so spot on with the market, or, or the market takes off at the right time and things just go well. But you know, everything that we've done, I feel like we've had to fail at or, or mm. not get right at least once or twice and then and then we can kind of figure out okay why is it not working why are sales not working why is uh when using this feature we rolled out talk to people iterate and then hopefully you know we, we get a little bit better at it you know yeah. day by day that's a good point yeah yeah makes a lot of sense um sort of diving back into you know ambition as a company and sort of you know its failures and successes um you mentioned earlier you know you know the you know next path forward or sort of keeping you know an eye on the future as you move forward is there like an ultimate goal you're looking to accomplish with the company or are you just seeing how far you can take it i think every i think every founder is definitely wants to see how far they can take it i think we all have these big dreams and you know my dreams are being a, a sales management platform that serves you know hundreds and thousands of organizations that serves hundreds of thousands of users, um, you know, has direct attributable value to those people in terms of like helping them hit quota, helping them hit the targets, sales reps progressing their career. I believe in that. You know, it's hard to say like what is the the end post. I don't I don't think that people are being 
necessarily dishonest when they say, I want to be a billion-dollar company, I want to <laughs> IPO. It's just like, you know, that may not be the best for your customers. That may not be the best for your users. I, I would love to ring the bell. I would love that for our employees. I'd love that for, you know, our, our shareholders, so to speak. Um, and if we can do it, then I am all for it. But I just want our company to have the most impact it can and affect the most people. Mm. And I think that if we focus on that, um, it will it will course correct itself. You know, it'll take mm-hmm. it'll take the company in the, in the right direction overall. And so, you know, as long as we're doing the right thing by our customers and hopefully the same, doing the right thing by our employees, um, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Sounds like it. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like yeah, that's probably I don't know. It, you hit the nail on the head when you say that someone would lie if they don't want to make a billion dollars. I think everyone wants to make a billion dollars if yeah. they start right. a company. Right. But, um, but like we knowing do. that, yeah, if you have enough passion and you you know you're building something that you actually care about, then I think it's probably a lot more valuable to actually see the success of that rather than see your bank account you know grow by. Yeah. I mean, a billion dollars. I'm not going to scoff at, but <laughs> but yeah, I'll I, take it. I, I just, yeah. That's the result of these other things, right? It's like you know, people I think can flip the. Uh, they can over-optimize for the billion dollars, and that means they miss out on satisfying users or, or keeping mm-hmm. great employees or, or whatever the, the, the you know obstacle may be. And once you mess that up, you're, it puts the billion dollars at risk. So right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, I think it's like getting the day-to-day and quarter-to-quarter stuff right, which is all about people and customers and and, and making the right decisions for the long term. That optimizes you for that that outcome. Yeah. That's a heck of a risk to make a, a billion dollars. <laughs> um, cool. So, so we've talked a lot about you know you ambition sort of as a whole, but um, we also wanted to dive a, a little bit into sort of the platform itself and and you know what you've built ambition to do. You've talked a lot about mm-hmm. um, sort of your background and and why you're passionate about coaching and training and making sure that reps have a good foundation, um, but. Uh, when it comes to actually utilizing ambition and sort of getting that out of the platform for sales managers out there, um, you know, just wanted to ask a couple of questions about like, um, when you look at sales um, and you dive into metrics and processes, a lot of people look at it as sort of a science. Like, you know, if you do this much, you get this much out of it. Um, but right. that's not always the case. And I know you, you know, that's not something that you guys ultimately, I, I would say, believe in based on the company and sort of what you're founded on. Um, what does your process look like when you build out sort of incentive programs and, you know, do you let your reps know, like, why you're doing what you're doing, why the coaching is happening, what the training is like, stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I do think there is, I, I think that sales is a, a mixture of art and science and, you know, the reality of sales, like like, like most things, is that it's constantly changing. There's no, I, I don't believe it is formulaic and that you can take a formula from one company or one team and then put it on another and things are going to work out. There's just too many variables and, and people are so diverse that they're going to have, you know, certain things work for certain people, certain markets, certain types of, um, ICP or, or ideal customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just going to always be different. It's going to, it's also going to be evolutionary. People are going to change markets change. So, you know, while I do believe in the, sales funnel. I do believe in, you know, being able to put some math around it. I don't think that there's just this, you know, script or formulaic approach to sales. Mm. Um, when we build out incentive programs or coaching or, you know, goals, things that our tool does and helps, you know, sales organizations run more effectively, you know, when we're talking to those customers, we're saying, you know, align this to your business. Like, what is what are the business outcomes you want to drive. And if you're creating, for example, a contest or, you know, scorecards for your reps that are not aligned with the business, which happens all the time, um, then you're not going to get the, uh, the outcome, the behavior, you may drive the behaviors you want to drive, but if those behaviors don't have the right um, influence or don't create the right type of pipeline or drive the right type of um, objective, then of course the outcome is, is not going to be met. You're not going to hit your target or your goals. And I think that's one of the things that is, um, you know, that was frustrating my first, you know, my first two jobs. It, it's frustrating sometimes when I deal with clients today. It's exciting because we can help them. But, you know, our, my first 
you know, that first sales job, there was a, it, you know, a leaderboard, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. It was a giant uh, multi, it was probably like 30 feet long. Oh and my it God. was <laughs> every single rep in like this division just stacked, Jeez. stacked ranked. And yeah. it was like one Some of those long, old school rollout printer paper things horizontally across the wall. And um, it, it's like, that is not driving what you want. You know, there's like thousands of names on that. Yeah, People aren't going to even be able to go find themselves on it. Um, so unless you're like the top 10 people on the list, you're just it, buried somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not giving you any context of did you improve over last quarter or last month or are you rising or are you falling or any of these things. What, what your comparison is versus you know, what cohort you started with or what, like, you know, sales class you started with there. Hmm. Um, so it was just really a poor way of driving behavior that someone with good intentions thought was going to, you know, have, have value. So we talked so much about aligning, you know, what the leadership of a company wants, the, the numbers and the targets they put on their sales organization, which, which really matter. Like, hmm. it's not... Some people will come in and say, like, well, you should restart the targets and change the quotas and blah, blah, blah. That's not, us, that's not for us to decide. We want to give you, you know, the best shot at hitting the numbers that are out there. Right. Uh, I would love it if people were a little bit maybe, like, more intentional about setting those. But, <laughs> you know, you deal with the target that's there, and then you start working, you know, backwards from, okay, what is it going to look like for you to hit this? And so we encourage people to build out scorecards that, that model to that. We encourage them to build out especially short-term and recurring goals and one-on-one check-ins that, you know, can help you have a continual feedback loop of, am I doing the things that uh, are going to get me to this target? Am I doing them effectively enough? Um, and am I, you know, as a rep, this is important to me, am I doing things that are going to, you um, you know, level me up in the organization and can, can help me maximize my, you know, future or, or how, whatever you want to call it. Because um, I think it's overlooked too often. So, right. you know, we're super passionate about it because, you know, I think if we're helping reps and managers be successful at hitting those those targets and those quotas and those, those team numbers, um, you know, the companies will find this indispensable. And then, mm-hmm. you know, those managers and leaders are going to take us as a product wherever they go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds like transparency is sort of a big fixture there, very much the opposite of what you sort of dealt with previously and, um, the importance of letting reps know, like, this is why we're doing this, you know, this is what we're looking to accomplish. Um, do you, like, I'm just going on on a limb here and saying that you value transparency a lot, um, in situations like this when, you know, you see ambition being implemented at a company. Is that something that you like, I don't want to say pressure, but like, you know, if ambition's being implemented at an organization and they don't necessarily have the best transparency, do you let them know, like, hey, this works best if your reps are on the same page as you? Um, or do you kind of just, like, you know, like you said, you know, they have their numbers in mind or whatever, and you let them sort of work backwards on their end? Well, we, we've definitely been in a, a few sticky situations before where <laughs> the organizational culture just wasn't aligned to what ambition the product wanted to deliver. I like to say our product has um, strong opinions in it, like built into the product, and one of them is transparency and the ability for peers in the organization, sales reps, to see what's working for other people. Why are why is someone else being successful? Um, you know, using a super simple uh, example, is it that they're you know, making more calls than me, or uh, are their calls converting at a higher, you know, higher rate than mine are? Mm. If they are, I should want to figure that out. And, you know, I should want to talk to that rep who's succeeding and say, you know, hey, you know, how are your calls uh, converting so well? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you asking? Right. And hopefully that rep, she'll say, you know, Brian, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I ask a prospect to uh, give me a meeting or, or, you know, whatever the, the next process may be or step may be. So, you know, transparency is kind of kind of critical, and I would almost say it's foundational to ambition mm-hmm. in that if you're not comfortable with that, we don't really see that as being a modern environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, once again, we're millennials. We are 
um, have come up where any anything I want to know is available on my phone uh, in a, a few seconds, right? Like you guys live that same life. You're probably the same generation as me. Yep. Um, you know, to be in a sales organization that I think I would call like non-modern would be one where, you know, I got my start where I may not know if I am on target to hit my monthly activity goals or my monthly targets until the end of the month or sometimes two two weeks later. Mm-hmm. So if I don't know those type of things, you know, how can I really be, how can I give myself the best chance of, of hitting it? I can't right. course correct. I don't have visibility into these things. And it means my coaching or my, you know, whatever type of system my manager is working with me on, they're probably not looking at those numbers until after the fact either. So everything right. we're doing is rear view mirror where, you know, I think of this modern sales organization uh, being agile. And we talk about agile sales management. And that means taking, hopefully, data that's as, as real-time as possible, mm-hmm. as true um, to right now as possible, and using that to recognize people or take, take people aside and maybe give them um, some, some critical feedback sometimes or some challenges sometimes. But doing it in the moment, because I think we all can... can agree that that feedback in the moment coaching in the moment is much better than you know any type of retroactive yeah. type deal mm-hmm. and that that you have to have transparency you have to have visibility to do that uh and i definitely think it's, it's paramount to success and ambition mm. yeah. or with ambition i should say <laughs> there you go um sort of in terms of um you know transparency and and even more on a cultural level just organizational culture are there are there things you find that work the best when you're dealing with you know, maybe a very diverse group of SDRs or people that are motivated in, in very different ways? Is there a way to keep them sort of aligned and um, all motivated for the same sort of goal and outcome? Well, one thing that I, I love, and I, I, you know, I'm kind of pivoting your question a little bit, is I love when people create team-based goals and run team-based incentives. Um, I think that, especially in, in SDR, um, we can get a little bit too much in the... Um, you know, just quantity, volume, volume, like mm-hmm. quantity type metrics, which are which are great. Like once again, I do think that there is a a funnel to a sales process. There is, you know, we do need to look at averages and say, you know, if you want to set this many meetings or schedule this many demos, you know, what it's very unlikely you'll be able to do that if you don't make this many calls or talk to this right. many people. Um, but I think, you know, when we can marry those type of volume metrics with um, you know more more qualitative things like how effective people are doing like give me some contest incentives or goals around people being the most uh, effective they can you know who can get the highest um, set rate on their connected calls that's like two levels of, of conversions right there how many people did you talk to and of those people how many converted to a yes I'll take a meeting um, now you're really getting people to be a little bit more strategic than just saying, uh, I'm going to come in and make a hundred dials and just mindlessly, I'm going to, I'm going to get through it. Um, you know, obviously any SDR managers hearing this is probably going to say, well, if you just start focusing on the conversion, people will start you know, decreasing the, the quantity. And so you've got to balance it. You've got to have some accountability. Um, I think that there's got to be you know, some baseline expectations. But, you know, like you said, with, with diversity of groups, we've worked with teams and we have people like this at our company. I, I shouldn't even say this is an internal example who <laughs> can set meetings all day long with email and LinkedIn messages. And then we have people who, for whatever reason, don't or can't, but they set meetings on the phone. And so, you know, I want to empower those people to be successful in the way that uh, works for them in the way that has them hit their goal and, and be uh, a contributor. Um, so I don't want to limit it to you know just one size fits all. Mm. I think allowing that creativity and allowing people to uh, to excel as long as they're hitting the baseline and as long as they're um, you know hopefully achieving or exceeding the expectation. You know, creativity is is, is critical. Yeah, totally agree. Um, 
creativity and, and something else that we often hear about in sales development and something I'm sure that you experience with your massive 30-foot leaderboard uh, <laughs> is competition. Uh, a lot of organizations feel like, you know, the more competition you have, the more SDRs are going to push themselves. Ultimately, you drive more revenue. Um, do you think like a competitive nature is a requirement to be an SDR or to be successful in sales development? Or is it, I know, like you said, you know, within your teams internally, even um, people have different tactics and, you know, maybe they measure themselves differently. Um, but do you think competitions required to be successful in sales development? I don't think it's required. I think it is definitely helpful. I definitely think that reps who are, well, I'll put it this way. I don't think that people have to have this, like, I want to be the winner. I want to be the only one who's at the top of the leaderboard every week or whatever. Um, those type of people do succeed sometimes. Mm. And maybe, you know, we just kind of see them a little bit more. Um, but I think some of the best SDRs are totally driven by what they want um, for themselves and that they want to you know, they want to hit the number because they believe they can, or they think they can blow the number out of the, the water every month. Um, we have a person like that. You know, I don't think he's, if we really got into a, you know, a therapist couch, couch <laughs> session with him, I don't think he's competing with anyone else. I think he's like, I know that I could just smash the target of 30. Mm. Um, and so he does, you know, he's doing it for himself. Maybe he's competing with himself. Yeah, but, internal competition versus, you know, competing with people yeah, literally and, sitting around you. Yeah. Right, and I think that's driven, you know, oftentimes by people who have, um, you know, they have a certain career or orientation they want to take. You know, they're thinking about the next two, three, five years. I think that's super healthy. Sometimes I, I feel like organizations can um, can try to trap good people, um, whereas you know we hope they get they get built up and, and they they move on to the next the next piece of their career as uh, as they want to. We help them succeed in the now, but. You know, I think one effective thing where I love competition, but I love competition that has a, a team aspect. I said this mm. a few seconds ago, but, yeah. um, you know, whether it is, and this is kind of like one of, I think, the hacks we stumbled on early in ambition, <laughs> but people don't want to let people down. Uh, so especially when you can create teams of, of folks in your organization, whether it's salespeople, SDRs, customer support people, I, I think them... Um, you know, failing in a failing to contribute in a competition or some type of incentive is sometimes a bigger motivator than whatever the prize for winning is. You know, that's kind mm -hmm. of a weird thing, but I think yeah. it's really important. It gives people to uh, to really excel and, and try to excel for their you know their neighbor in the company. The other thing is is um, you know I think especially big organizations don't do a great job of of understanding how powerful recognition is and especially for folks like SDRs maybe who are typically uh, you know definitely not across the board but but skew younger skew earlier in their career recognition is huge and being able to have their manager other leaders you know definitely if possible C-level or VP level people um, you know seeing that they're working hard that they're contributing that they're being effective and into, you know, personally recognizing them in some way, email, high five next to the desk, uh, you know, message in Slack, whatever the organization uses, that stuff is, um, that stuff is worth its weight in gold. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that wherever we can, we try to, we, try, we know people are going to run contests and they're going to run whoever can do the most of X. You know, that's great. It's going to happen. Let's, let's make sure it's aligned to the business. But when we can, we want to make sure that we're encouraging these non-lone wolf type of competitions. And we're, we're, you know, getting team involvement. We're getting peer-to-peer -peer accountability, I call it. And, um, you know, it's not all just about the cool, shiniest prize. It's about, <laughs> you know, it's about helping the other people in the company. It's about accomplishing a goal as a company or a team. And, um, you know, get as much access and recognition from, from leaders and key people in the org as possible because... I think that that sticks with folks, you know, three six months down the road a lot more than um, you got free lunch on Friday yeah, or twenty five dollar gift, gift card. Gift to card. Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know that that that's gone by the end of the weekend. You know, a, a great note from the CEO or the CEO stopping by to say, "Hey, great work." 
that really, I think, means a lot to people. Yeah, and that like really speaks. I, I, I just on a personal <laughs> note, I could not agree with you more. That like <laughs> you looked right into my soul when you were talking about that. Um, it's just like there's like you said earlier. I'm a millennial as well. It's it might be like a generational thing, but I feel so much more like just better about what I've done if you get some kind of personal recognition or just like that show from like the CEO like you said like a high five like that high five is worth way more than whatever the heck I could buy on Amazon yeah. for $25 that's probably the deal of the day and I don't actually need but I'll buy anyways <laughs> yeah like that's just it's lost in a volumes. closet within like two weeks right right yeah <laughs> or broken either way yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um sort of on that theme I guess what what you just said really resonated with me in terms of, you know, the, the peer-to-peer accountability and the, uh, you know, recognition. Um, you know, when, when I do work as an SDR, it sort of speaks to, um, you know, the, the experience I drew from sort of growing sports, sorry, playing sports growing up. Um, have you found that there's any correlation between someone who, you know, played a lot of sports team or individual growing up and how, how well they sort of take that into a successful role as an SDR? Yeah, you know, it's kind of the, and I, I say it's a stereotype, but, but I'm the same way. It sounds like you're the same way, um, you know, and, and that's like broadly throughout all of sales. Mm-hmm. You go, you get former athletes, you get former people who, who are hyper competitive. And, and I don't think that's wrong. Like, I, I don't want to say to anyone who has that background, they um, can't be hyper successful in sales because I know they can. I've seen it a <laughs> bunch of times. Um, I don't want to rule out folks who don't play sports or don't have, some competitive background because I've seen the inverse, which is people who are, you know, whether it's highly internally driven or they're great communicators or they, um, you know, I've seen people who are just, who are from like a, a, you know, math or engineering background and for whatever reason they get into sales and, you know, they're just highly logical and highly organized and they make great salespeople Mm -hmm. because, you know, connected at a different level. and so I don't think that there's like a um, a correlation in that you must have been, you know, had a competitive sports background to be successful. I do think that lends its, itself to folks early in their career, though, because mm-hmm. like you just said, having that team mentality, I think, is big. SDR is just such a hard role. Like you're, you're going to, at a lot of places, and I don't want to speak for you guys, but at a lot of companies, you're going to get told no a bunch. You're going to get hung up on. People might be rude to you. Oh yeah. You have to have that, you Felt know, that. Uh, stand up <laughs> reflex of you just get up on the next call and you, you forget about the last play type of thing. So I think that you know, folks coming from from sports and from a um, you know also an environment where you get coached a lot and you get a lot of feedback is helpful because that I think would definitely be jarring for some people who, who may not have had that experience. But mm. I always, you know, always want to put the caveat out there now that been in this long enough to see people who at first glance, I would say this person does not have the right background or does not, couldn't, couldn't be great at this. And, um, you know, through internal process or through organization or through creativity, they're phenomenal. Um, mm. And so I think I think it can go either way, but I definitely think there's it's a lick a little nudge of bonus <laughs> or like a little bit advantage, yeah. advantageous, especially early on when people are getting started, uh, to have that that experience. Yeah, just a quick little plus one there. Like, oh, you played you know D one college yeah. basketball. Oh, would you look at that? <laughs> um, yeah. Do you... you know the other thing? I don't want to like distract this, but I think it's also a lot on the managers and how they deal with these people and understanding that you've got to coach people individually. Like I Mm -hmm. believe in coaching a team and coaching to the goal, but, but figuring out the quirks and the background and the personality of, um, of your team. I I think that's like the real thing is like, Mm -hmm. who are my former college basketball player who, who wants every day to be the winner. And it just, they just hate to lose. Like use that with them and, you know, find the other person who, you know, is driven by whatever else. Like, I don't even want to make something up, but like find everyone's quirks and their, their carrots and start using them uh, on an individual level. And I think that's what unlocks a lot of people's potential. Yeah. 
I was actually just going to make, I think you kind of touched on it briefly, but like, you know, you make the correlation like, oh, like athlete to SDR, but like, what about coach to uh, sales development manager? Like, you know, maybe somebody who um, is a, a really good sales development manager, I don't know if you've seen this working through ambition, but like, is also maybe someone who would be a really good coach at like a... I don't even know what level they would coach at, like some like high school baseball team or, you know, like a local right. um, coach of some capacity. Like it's easy to equate sales development and athlete, but like, I feel like a lot of people don't do the coach and manager, even though to me, that Makes just seems like a little bit more. Even, yeah. yeah. It's like more of an easy connection to make. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really true. I think that those great coaches, um, they do well what, you know, kind of, what I just mentioned, which is which is finding someone's strengths, finding their areas of improvement, and then um, you know, speaking them, speaking those things to them in a way that they can they can hear and they can understand, mm-hmm. and uh, they change because of it or, or they grow because of it. Yeah. Uh, that's that's super hard. I think it's probably that early, um, you know, SDR manager, uh, you know, inside sales manager. I think those are some of the hardest jobs because it's just really difficult to to take typically younger in their career people and try to mold them, mold them into successful reps, right? Yeah. Like that's incredibly, incredibly challenging, especially because most of those managers got there because they were a good rep themselves. Now yeah. they have to figure out how do I replicate that to 10 totally different people with different processes and different motivated factors. Right. Yeah. Like that manager was probably like literally a week ago, like a senior (laughs) sales development rep. And now it's like, great, you've done well. Here's six other people to manage other than yourself. And on the other side of the analogy, you don't, not every player makes a good coach. Right. So what happens if, you know, maybe they're not meant to be a manager. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. That's what, you know, that's one of the things we hope to, to help solve an ambition. I think that managers are sometimes the, um, the breaking point, or I want to say, like they're like a failure point in organizations <laughs> because they were, like you just said, they were the best rep last week and they got the promotion that they're super excited about. And now they have to manage, coach, keep folks accountable, help us hit this goal. And they're, they, you know, people are like, oh, well, you're just a manager now, but their role changed 180 degrees mm-hmm. overnight. And, you know, they may not have the, background to do the analysis to figure out what's working or, or you know may have never done it before um, and they're supposed to come in the next day and motivate inspire hold a team accountable um, you know improve people over time that is a that's a really that's a heck of an ass it's a weird <laughs> jump if you if you think about it like that yeah awesome um, well we've we've taken up a lot of your time so far. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to specifically mention about, I don't know, yourself or ambition or, or what you see sort of as the future of sales training and coaching. Um, just in, uh, something to wrap up on because we've covered a ton of stuff and, you know, you've talked a lot about um, sort of your philosophy on coaching, how that's translated to ambition. But like in the future, do you see, I guess it's hard to see the future, but where do you see sort of coaching and training and, and sort of the development of SDRs going um, with or without ambition, you know, however the next 10, 15, 20 years might look. Yeah, well, we, we really expect it'll be with ambition, uh, hopefully. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about, you know, we want to, we want to be the why. Uh, I think that, um, you know, why people come in and why they, you know, make however many calls or, or whatever type of actions they take on a day-to-day basis, getting in touch with prospects. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the why is what's, what really matters. And, and some, you know, just to give you some basis there, like we talk about where, where is typically, you know, CRM or, or some of these lead databases that people are working in. Um, how is, is the tool they use to get in touch with these people, whether it's email or, um, sales acceleration tool or dialer. Um, but then, you know, why why they do it is really tricky. It's like, mm. oh, because they get paid on a per meeting basis. And yeah. this is their, you know, their first job before they become an AE or something like that. Um, you know, that that's probably not like really why they come in every day and like why they get excited and, and why they want to work harder to to excel. Um, so if we can if we can give teams and individuals and leaders the, you know, 
you know, a tool and a platform to more effectively attack that why every day and be better, um, we think we're going to deliver a really important sales management platform mm-hmm. and deliver a lot of value to customers. So, you know, I don't, you talk about future of sales, I don't think the salesperson is going away. I don't think they're, we're going to be replaced by AI or, <laughs> or advanced statistics or anything. I think that more than ever, people want to uh, connect with people. They mm-hmm. want to trust another individual who they feel like is an expert and feels like um, cares about what they want. And so, you know, I think that the salesperson, SDR, AE, field rep, whatever it is, customer support person, um, all of those individuals have to be more effective and more intentional and more authentic because the transaction of, of doing a deal or, or doing business together hinges more on that than just the, uh, you know, the process of you getting in touch with them. It's very mm-hmm. easy to make a, a beautiful website. It's very easy to put out tons of messaging on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you get customers from. Um, what happens when you start talking to someone is very hard and, and it's, it's a competitive advantage if you can get it right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, specifically mm-hmm. in today's day and age. Um, like you said, you know, the rise of AI, the rise of robots trying to take our <laughs> jobs. Um, I, I totally agree. You know, it's, sales is still a person-to-person relationship. And like you said, you know, if you can build the right foundation, you get reps who are able to use that to their advantage, then, I mean, that's that's way better than advanced statistics telling you that this person's more than likely going to take a meeting with you. Oh, hit the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, and I'm not going to knock the folks who do the advanced. Oh, yeah. No. That. I, I, I <laughs> love no that. Means. That's useful. But uh, when you show up to the call, um, you know, that person wants to connect with someone who who they believe is a real person. They yeah, believe they trust them. They can help them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. And I think that's all about coaching and all about what we do from a, a um, development standpoint, a management standpoint, more so than uh, here's another... You know, I, I don't want to throw any other sales vendor under the bus, but, but you know, something else that is, uh, that is not, yeah, I, I can get myself in trouble there. <laughs> friends with all of these companies, but, uh, you know, that's something I think that, that will be valued 10 years from now, 15 years from now, uh, more so than some other tools. Yeah. That way. Nice. Um, awesome. Well, Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us and pop on the podcast. Um, really insightful stuff. I think it's definitely going to help not just sort of SDRs out there, but specifically managers um, when it comes to sort of building and creating a team and how to effectively train and coach them, especially if they were just a sales development rep like five days before listening to this. Um, a lot of helpful stuff in there, which is which is awesome and exactly what we were looking for. Um, Alex, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, any last um, questions you want to ask Brian? No, I just sort of echo what you just said. There was a lot of insightful stuff. I think you said a good number of sort of quotable things that you know we hope to take away from this. Yeah, we will definitely be <laughs> taking away from this. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and joining us here. Guys, well, I, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, it, it was cool to be on the, the podcast. You asked some awesome questions, so thrilled to join it. And, uh, Look forward to finding if there's anything quotable out of this and you just scrap the whole thing. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Brian. Thanks. All right, AJ, Alex, have a good one. All right, you, you too. too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsubscribe. Remember, to get less unsubscribe emails in your inbox, subscribe to Unsubscribe and get your SDR team in tip-top shape. See you next week.